0: She was 17, I was 18. We got pregnant and then her mother asked her one day because she had been sick and uh, she suspected morning sickness and she said to her, are you pregnant? And she was outside on her bicycle uh, getting ready to come down to my house and uh, she said, yes I am. And uh, her mother hauled off and slapped her real hard, knocked her off her bike, knocked her down on the ground and then she kicked her several times in the stomach and she kept beating on her, calling her a slut calling her a whore, calling her uh, a harlot, uh, anything she could think of. At the same time, uh, I had to tell my mother, and uh, I was 18 years old, and I said to my mother that I had got my girlfriend pregnant, and she said, well, you pulled a lot of dumb things in your life, but um, that's about the dumbest thing you've ever done, and uh, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to marry her. And, uh, well, why are you going to marry her? You you can't even support yourself. You can't hold a job. You don't have a full-time job. And uh, don't think you're going to move in this house with her and let me support you and the baby and her uh, you better have something else to do. And I said, well, I will support her. I will get a job, and uh, I will take care of her. And uh, about that time, my uh, mother's boyfriend was sitting there, and he said, it won't last more than six months. He's never done anything in his life that lasted more than six months, so this won't last any longer. There wasn't any help, and uh, I look at life choices as the help for people that are in that situation, and uh, they got a place to go, they got somebody to talk to, and uh, they got somebody to talk to that won't belittle them or anything else. They'll uh, they'll help them. And then she came up to my house, and we sat on the front porch, and we talked about it and cried together, tried to figure out what we were going to do. And so uh, I told her that I would marry her if she wanted me to marry her. And uh, we had decided that that's what would happen. We did that and got married. It lasted 58 years. And uh, my wife and I had 12 children. And uh, then I lost her to uh, leukemia. God has been good to me. Uh, he's, took, uh, he's taken care of me and my family. I still have 12 children, and they're still alive. God has blessed me. Uh, unreal. It's unreal the way he's blessed me. We got married on December 17th, and uh, my oldest son was born on uh, June 28th.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Rick Thielen. I'm the CEO of Life Choices, and indeed, my birthday is June 28th. I am that baby. And, uh, It's funny, I didn't know that story until just a few years ago. Can I have you stand up here? Sure, I can do that. Oh, okay. Oh! <laughs> I was the stealth speaker there for a second, wasn't I? I hear a voice, I just don't see him anywhere. So, um, but uh, let, me, let me tell you the, just the rest of that story, because it really relates to that last song we song My Heart Runs After You. The, uh, my mom's mother, the one that was kicking her and calling her all those names, eventually became a Christian and prayed for every one of her kids and her grandkids. And I can tell you today that uh, the 12 of us kids are all believers. Uh, there's 37 grandkids. And uh, and uh, even when they got married, you heard a little bit of it in the, in the video, uh, they came through and congratulate them. And again, they told them, uh, we'll give you six months. And as you heard, it was 58 years. And uh, so very important. It's kind of refl- reflects what Life Choices does and how we reach out. And uh, I hadn't heard that story until my dad was volunteering for Life Choices and went through the advocate training. And I wasn't there. And so a whole bunch of the advocates and staff heard the story long before I did. And that's when I heard about it later on. And then we went ahead and put it on tape. But we're excited about being here this morning. I thank you for having Life Choices here this morning. You may have noticed kind of a small motorhomes sitting out there. That's a custom-built motorhome that does pre- pregnancy tests and obstetrical ultrasounds, and we do those at no charge. And so let me introduce to you a couple of the staff that are here with you this morning. Uh, Vicki, would you stand up? And she's our, she's our center director here in Westminster and North Metro. And Paula, would you stand up? And she's our nurse, and she'll be hosting you on the, on the unit as you go through that this morning. I want to invite you out there to come out there. Well, what has Life Choices been doing here uh, for a little bit? Let me give you some results here. And uh, my my whole background is about twenty some years in retail, and then I spent about eight years in executive pastor. And I think that kind of, I just get I get locked into numbers. I always want to know what have we accomplished, what are we doing. So I was looking at some numbers comparing it to last year, and uh, compared to last year, our client counts up fifty eight percent over the same period last year, uh, overall coming into our centers, which is exciting. We're also, our education department, we go into public schools by invitation, middle schools and high schools. We also go into Christian schools. And we, we, we have this, uh, we teach about abstinence. And uh, the real, we, we can't use the word abstinence because the students have never heard that, oddly enough. And uh, so it's called uh, uh, sexual uh, uh, r- risk avoidance altogether. But what most everybody else teaches in school is sexual risk reduction. And so it's not taking away everything. And even the CDC, and by the way, even Planned Parenthood's own information says that abstinence is the only way that you don't get an STD and it's the only way you don't get pregnant. In other words, it works every time it's tried. (laughs) And uh, so that's what we do. And uh, the exciting part of it was last school year, not the one that's completing, but last school year, we presented to a little over 5,000 students. This year, when this school year closes, which is very, very close, we will present it to over 6,000 students, so a good increase of about 20%. Our after-abortion uh, counseling that we do, that's up 50% over a year ago. And then uh, the ultrasounds that we do out here uh, on, the, on the mobile, and now we're going to be doing them permanently. We have a new machine in, in Westminster office. Uh, our first year, the goal was to do 100 ultrasounds. We did 363. So my projections were really lousy. Uh, The second year, we did 468, and this year we're we're looking to top 600. Our goal is to be over 1,000 ultrasounds uh, in a year. And why is that important? Well, what we found across the nation, and we're seeing the exact same things at Life Choices, is that women who are planning on getting an abortion or really are leaning that direction, when they come in and they see their baby on an ultrasound, the one of the first comments we heard is, nobody told me that was a baby. They just said it was a mass of cells. And uh, we don't even have to say anything else. And, and they, most of the time, they change their minds. 75 to 80% of them change their mind and choose life. In fact, uh, just uh, last weekend, uh, it was, we are at another church, and two girls came in. They're four years old and six years old, and we have uh, a, a ultrasound that's playing on there. And these two girls came in, and before anybody said anything, they were looking at that. And they said, Mommy, look at the baby on that screen. And that baby was about 12 weeks old from in the womb. And it was waving, and it was kicking. And when a baby's about 12 weeks old, it is already determined that it's right or left-handed. And you can a lot of times tell because it's sucking its thumb. And uh, it was, it's very, very neat to see that. But we see that happening, so that's why we want to continue to increase the number of ultrasounds that we do. Well, I'm excited, we're, we're blessed with a great staff, we're blessed with volunteers, and we're always looking for more volunteers. I was just telling Ryan before the service, we now have another new machine coming, and uh, it will be going and we'll be putting that on the, on the, on the mobile unit because we use, we use that so much, and that machine in the mobile unit will go to Estes Park. And so let me tell you where our, our centers are. We started in Longmont 32 years ago, we added Loveland, then we added the North Metro, which is now Westminster, Then we added Brighton, and the same year we added Brighton as the same year we brought the mobile unit on. And then last summer, Estes Park became part of Life Choices. And so we continue to have more opportunities, and we we keep adding ultrasound machines, we keep adding services. And as of this year, we have rolled out STI, STD testing in all of our brick-and-mortar locations. And why did we do that? Because as we've been in the schools presenting, the first question we get asked is, where can we get tested for STIs or STDs? STIs are sexually transmitted infections, and then an infection becomes a disease, STDs. And so up until this time, about the only place they could go was Planned Parenthood. And so now they can come to Life Choices. But right now, we're looking for volunteers, and if that's something you're interested in doing, talk with Vicki, she'll be on the table right outside. If there's something else you would like to do, and you probably wonder, why is he waving this around in the air? Well, this is a baby bottle and uh, you can fill it with change. I had someone stop me last week and said, are we only allowed to put change in there or can we put checks in there? And I said, by all means, you can put a check in there, and uh, which a number of people did. And then there's this right here, and this is a virtual baby bottle for some that don't wanna mess with carrying that around. You can go right online and just give uh, virtually and just assign it to our our Westminster Center, and we can get credit for that way. But it's some great things been going on at Life Choices. I'll be out on the on the mobile doing tours. If you have more questions, as I said, Vic, Vicky will be outside the door. But again, I want to thank you, uh, Vicky and Paula. Thank you for being here, for allowing us to be here this morning, and blessings on you guys. And thank you very much. Ryan,
2: your staff here, real quick. One of the things that I love about Life Choices is their heart, and uh, you probably hear it. Uh, through Rick. And um, this is the moment in many people's lives where um, they're probably the most fear. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of uh, external relationships and pain. And and Life Choices does a really, really good job at their tone and their their love for people. And um, that's why we love them. Um, So let me just pray for you guys. And thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for Life Choices and what they're doing. And we know that in some of these uh, small um, counseling rooms, major life decisions are made. And so, God, we just pray for the staff. And uh, we just ask for open doors um, in the lives of so many um, young couples and single women um, that are hurting and uh, fearful. Um, that are feeling judged and uh, pushed out. And we just pray that they would experience um, real, real grace. Um, as they come to life choices. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, Rick. Thank you very much. Yeah. Hey, a couple things uh, before I'm going to make you guys be extroverted. Um, you can, like Rick said, you can go out and, and tour the ultrasound thing. Um, there's a table right out of the door. You can ask questions. You can grab information, all that good stuff. Uh, as far as our church goes, welcome to Restoration Covenant Church. Um, If you're new, my name is Ryan, and uh, we have uh, just, it's May, it's nuts. Um, You've probably been to a bunch of grad parties. You probably have a lot of plans uh, coming up this summer. We're so glad you're here. Um, If you're new, we know that it's hard to come to a new place like this, so we try to make it um, at least as welcoming as we can. And so, if you are new, um, stop by our info table, and we have a gift for you. Just thanks for coming. You don't have to give us your stuff. We're not going to hound you over email or, or call you or show up at your house. We just want to give you some free coffee, um, but we're glad you're here. And uh, one, one last thing I want to share before we m- greet each other um, is, uh, man, yesterday was a car accident um, city for us here at Restoration. Elliot was in a car wreck. Um, our worship pastor, and he's, he's sore, but um, hanging in there. Um, but also, Wayne and Evelyn McHugh were in a car wreck yesterday, and Wayne's in the hospital. And so if you know Wayne, he is the, one of the friendliest. Well, they're both friendly. So is Evelyn. What am I saying? Um, but, but Wayne uh, broke five ribs in his clavicle. And so, um, and, uh, you know, he's a tough guy. But we want to just send them some love today, Um, as well. So when you leave the service, um, there's some cards out on those tables. Will you just jot them, Evelyn and and Wayne, a quick note? um, Let them know you're thinking about them and praying for them. And uh, and will you do me a favor and stand up and say hi to someone next to you? Good, good, good. Good to see everybody. Constantly amazed at this place. Um, Not this. I mean, this is um, this is our gathering, but this place—what I mean by this church—is uh, something bigger. It goes outside of this, and I'm constantly amazed. Um, not because how cool this place is, or how cool you are, although you guys look great today. Every single one, no, <laughs> May, most of you look really good today. Um, it, I'm just, I'm just amazed at this place and the relationships and what God is doing in our hearts and wh- wherever we are, seasons of life. Uh, here in this room, um, some people dealing with some difficult life stuff here, um, some people just on the, on the top of life, um, but yet there is this uh, encouragement and there's this uh, yearning to become something uh, that God wants us to be, really, as a community, and, and I'm, I'm amazed at it, I'm happy about it. Uh, last January, we talked about taking risks um, and what that looks like to actually take risks in our life and our faith. Um, we We tend to stagnate in our faith when we stay comfortable and stay convenient um, and that gets us into some other uh problems but uh, the, as as a as a church i mean we we actually talked about how the enemy as a church was to be stable and uh, as you know, maybe you can 't tell um, but we 're a church plant, and this is not our church building, and so there is some um, There's some volatility to it in the sense that everything hinges on the truck starting in the morning and um, all of us kind of rallying around and doing our thing. And, uh, you know, I remember sitting one day with another group of pastors saying, man, I was kind of like looking forward to that day when everything wasn't so up in the air, you know? Everything wasn't so, wow, is this going to work or are people actually going to come or, or are things going to actually connect? And, and, and ultimately what that was is this yearning for stability, this, year, this yearning for comfort, for convenience, for things to just work. But that's the enemy of faith. It really is. And that's the enemy of any church. Uh, that's when a church becomes kind of an institution and an organization, and there's just uh, budgets and numbers, and I want something different. I want to be a part of something different. And as you can tell, at the same time, um, we talk about risking as a church, we also know that it's a huge risk for many people to come here, uh, whether you know us or not, Uh, whatever you're dealing with in your life, it's kind of a risk to step through these doors, and and if you're new, it's a total risk because you're new. And, and the hard part is this. I mean, you look around, this isn't a huge place. I mean, it's not like this sea of people that you can kind of hide in. Um, you can't really be anonymous very long here. And so I get how there's some tension to that because there's a part of us that really wants to stay anonymous. But I think of all of that like I think of one of my favorite summer activities is uh, jumping off cliffs into lakes. And if you've never been, um, you know, uh, cliff jumping before, it's one of those experiences where when you're looking at the cliff face and you're like, You see people up there, you're like, "Ah, I could jump off that. And then you get up there, right? And then you get up there, and there's something about our depth perception and water and the surface of the water that it looks three times higher than it does from the water surface. And so when you're down in the boat, and everybody's up there, and they're nervous, and you're like, come on, jump, you wuss. And then then you get up there, right? And you get up there, and I've always noticed that that the longer you stand at the edge of the jump-off point, the harder it gets. I mean, you start thinking about it, you start studying, it, you start asking people in the boat questions, and, and people are like, just jump already, you know? And in some ways, there's, there's a piece of that when it comes to anything in, in regards to faith. Whether it's walking into a new community for the first time or that initial kind of faith step that we take. It's something about uh, putting away. uh, I'm not saying putting your mind away. I'm not saying don't think about it anymore. But there's something about we can overanalyze everything. But ultimately, you got to take the jump. And here in the last few weeks, we've been doing this series on the Holy Spirit And the reason why is because I think that in many times, we as Americans tend to overthink God. We try to overthink this whole story, uh, this whole account of who God is, invading the world, invading our lives, and and we try to overthink it all. And we try to create kind of some uh, ways we say things and, and the ways we do things in order to make God more manageable, but... When we, as we're studying this, we're, what, five weeks into this now. Oh, God's not manageable. At least from a scriptural perspective, you cannot look at scripture and go, oh, yeah, that seems about right. I've got that figured out. And so we've been on this journey, and, and this week we're going to take another step in the journey, and we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12. And so if you have a Bible, great. If you don't, we've got some back there on the table, Love for you. You feel free to get up because um, you, you're not going to be anonymous here. Uh, remember. Um, so grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen for those of you who want to um, take it easy on um, on a Sunday morning in May. On a beautiful, finally, the weather. Right? Finally, no one cares. Okay. <laughs> here we go. Paul is writing to a group of people in a church that's it's an interesting church. If you've studied this letter before, or you read this letter before, I mean, you write a letter to a group of people, um, and and there's certain things on your mind. Well, if you read this letter to the Corinthians, there's some stuff on Paul's mind, and he's he's got a lot to deal with with this church in Corinth. And one of the things that's going on is they keep getting pulled into this flow of their culture, and their culture is a is a culture uh, that loves religious experience loves religious experience, and at the same time uh, they're Their church, their little group, um, is divided over a few things. They're divided on what food they should eat or not eat. Uh, We're not going to get into that today. They're divided on uh, the personalities of their leaders, um, which never happens. I don't know. Um, You've never probably had that happen before. Um, And they're also divided on how to conduct a a worship uh, experience, a worship service. Uh, together. And so he's trying to reorient this group back to what they're supposed to be. And so we're going to read the first 11 uh, verses of 1 Corinthians 12. Um, I'm going to read those to you now, and then we'll get into this. It says this. He says, now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers and to another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, an interpretation of those Tongues, and all of these work of one in the same spirit. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. So, there's a lot to take in. There's some language here that's kind of foreign to us. Um, there's some things that, if you've grown up and you've done the church thing, there's some things you heard there that kind of make you go, Ooh. But these are all, uh, this, this, what, there's an intent behind this. There's an intent behind this teaching to this church in Corinth that there's something that Paul wants them to live into that they're not living into. And so I think two things that I want to just really hit today uh, as far as these gifts and and this word gifts, and we're going to get into what that word means. But first of all, we all have them. We all have them. And the second thing is that God intends for us to use them. And so when we get into this a little bit, I think it's, um, I think it's uh, the classic conversation in church circus, circles is, okay, what's your spiritual gift? And, and maybe you have to fill out a form and figure it out. We're not going there today, okay? Those are helpful things, but those aren't the end-all, be-all to this. What we're going after today is this idea that you, that you are not fully you without us. You're not. And, and we are not fully us without you. And that's how this is supposed to work. And so we're going to go a little bit more verse by verse. And in this first verse, uh, Paul lays out... He says, now about gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. He's like, I don't want you to miss out on the full teaching here. He says, you know that when you were pagans, and that word pagans, that sounds like he's being derogatory. He's like, remember when you were pagan? You know, it just means like when you were not following Jesus. So, I mean, as far as like, like the, the people to that understand that the idea of being Jewish and then everything else was Gentile. It's just this idea that when you weren't following Jesus, you know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. And so here in Corinth, there's statues. There's, there's, a, there's a, just a plethora of things you can believe, just like today. There's so many things you can believe. In fact, even different today, today there's just even more You say, well, I don't see statues all around. I don't see people worshiping statues. Well, that's not really what we're getting at here. They're getting into this idea that you can worship actually anything, even if you don't really know you're worshiping it. So the difference between that Paul sets up as far as idol worship and worshiping Yahweh, worshiping God, is that that in idol worship, anything else outside of worshiping God, there's there's a component of, of my needs and what I want involved. Yahweh says, here's how you worship me on my terms, not on yours. And so it's easy to be kind of pulled uh, down this road. Every single one of us, it's easy to get pulled down this road. Why? Because at the center of that is what I want. The center of that is what what, what works for me. And so he's just kind of saying that it's kind of easy to move down this way. And this, this idea of being led astray, he talks about uh, this word kind of en- encapsulates this idea of being captured, being victimized, actually, being drug away in the wrong direction because of my own, my own heart. The own, my own will is the one that does that, not the little statue, Right? And so our will, our will and our heart, those are the things that pull us. And so Corinth is this hub of mysticism, this, this huge hub of, of religious experience, in fact, um, the idea that Paul is kind of working off of is, is, is that the people are in the midst of this group, this, this community, this, this city of Corinth, that all they want is a religious experience. And the crazier, the more exciting, the better. In fact, it was a culture infatuated with spiritual experience, much like ours is. We just throw extra stuff in it, like sports and things like that. We get excited about the experience. I mean, we take pictures of our experiences. Sometimes they're food experiences. Sometimes, you know, we love experiences. And so this is no different than our world. I mean, this is a culture of religious spiritual experience, and there was about feeling and about euphoria and about getting that next feeling and about getting that next excitement. Plato said the greatest blessing comes through mania. The philosopher Plato the greatest blessing, he said, comes through mania, and this idea that there's this um, out of body kind of exciting experience, abandoning your mind, kind of thing. And so, some of these worship experiences in Corinth were just they were they were intense. They were full of excitement and feeling, and and. Laser shows and fog machines, you know, much like a lot of churches today, you know, I and mean, just big, exciting stuff. Bubble machines, I don't know, maybe they had those. Now I'd, I'd rather have a bubble machine than a fog machine. Anybody else with me? Okay, right. But we are a people. We are. I mean, we, we have to recognize the fact that we also long for that. There's something in us that wants the new, the experience, the the excitement. See, our culture is excited about that. I was thinking about spiritual experience and kind of what that looked like, and so I Googled spiritualexperience.com. So I did this for you. You don't have to do it. Um, But here's the opening lines, the opening kind of paragraph to spiritualexperiences.com. It says, spiritual experiences and spirituality is your source this listen folks this is your source for spiritual religious and mystical experiences the study of spirituality religion enlightenment and teachers we are interested in stories from readers like you if you have experienced any kind of inner awakening personal development growth or if you have had a life-transforming realization, an experience of transcendence, an inspiring story, a UFO visit. Uh, No, it doesn't say that. I just threw that in. But I'm just, you know, I'm throwing it in. And we can kind of laugh, but but here's the thing. We all want that. We all want those experiences. And so we can kind of on the outside go, silly people. No, we want that. We're human, right? I want that. I want to have a life, personal development and growth. I want to have life transformation in my life. I do. And they love to tell stories, and we love to tell stories about what God's doing in our life, even in our deepest pain and in our highest highs. But it turns out their stories, I have to admit, are way cooler sounding. Here's some of the titles. Titles to some of the stories. One of them is Floating Light next one's battling a fallen archangel, right? Let's do this. (laughs) I wasn't going to share this one, but I'm going to now. A leg just like mine. That's the title of it. I had to go further on this one. Um, It's a touching story of a man who has a broken leg who meets a seagull with a broken leg, and they have this, like, metaphysical bond. Um. finding another four-leaf clover Uh, the amazing orb is another one this is my personal favorite summoning Metatron summoning who doesn't want to summon Metatron whoever that is And then, but but here's the, here's the I'm, it just, I, you, it sounds like I'm making fun, and I kind of am, but trust me, the tables will turn here in a second, okay? Um, the final one, this is, this is the one that's, this is our culture. This is us finding my own spirituality, finding my own spirituality. And this is, this is a guy who's just like, I'm frustrated with this, I'm frustrated with that, I'm frustrated with why this happens, I'm frustrated with turning on the TV and seeing this and I'm frustrated with what I see in religious practice, and I'm just going to make my own up. I'm like, I get that. Because here's the deal. If you've spent any time clicking through late-night religious television, ugh. I mean, that's like, uh, you know, we kind of giggle at spiritualexperience.com, but who isn't giggling at that? When you've got the the guy with the mullet going. So I'll just say this. There are things in us that we long for experience. It's not just in outside the church. It's not just those people out there in the world. We do too. We do too. And then we... Make ways of making the experience um, try to make the experience more of an experience. But what Paul's saying here is that let's set that aside for now. Let's set that aside. And he brings up this two litmus tests in verse three and four. actually it's just three. He says, "Therefore, I want you to know." That no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So this idea of, of who God is and who Jesus is. And as we're in this conversation about the Spirit, who the Spirit is. That you can't say, Jesus is Lord. You can't, you can't really own that. You, you really can't claim that uh, authority in your life without the Spirit working. It, it's It's... It is too life-overtaking to say that, to live that. Now, the reason why I say that is because this is a loaded phrase, Jesus is Lord. That is a loaded phrase. To the Jewish ear, that is absolutely scandalous. That Yahweh, that almighty creator God, is housed in the person of Jesus. For the Jewish mind, that is a tough one. And yet at the same time, for the Greek mind, this idea of Jesus being Lord is also tough. Because that was the word used and in, 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 in kind of pushed to the side just for Caesar. The sovereignty, the, the bigness of who Caesar was. And so if you went around saying Jesus is Lord, you were naturally going to offend somebody. And if you offended the wrong person, you'd be playing capture the flag with lions. And if you, offend, if you said it somewhere else, you could get, I mean, there's just, there's so much weight to this phrase. Then when you say Jesus is Lord, when you live Jesus being Lord in your life, it's going to change things. And, and and what Paul's saying, you cannot do that. You cannot separate the fact that the Spirit lives in you with the fact that there's Lordship of Jesus in your life. It's when our will takes over that keeps those things from happening. There's a different Lord. And so what what, what Paul is moving into is this idea, he's just kind of picking up of who the Spirit is. Uh, we, we learned at the first week when we talked about this out of John 16, we're going to flip over there here real quick, just as a reminder, but in John 16, Jesus lays out the case for who the Spirit is. In fact, Jesus is announcing to his disciples, hey, listen, I'm about to leave, and they're super bummed by that. And he says, but here's the thing, it's actually a good thing that I'm leaving it's good that I go. He's like, right now we're this group of, of 13 of us, 12, 13 of us, and we're, and we're doing all this stuff together, and I'm walking with you. I'm walking alongside of you, but I need to leave so that another will come. And when we talked about this, it's another just like me. It's another of the same uh, quality, okay? It's not another kind of in the same ballpark, but it's, it's another one just like me who's going to come and live with you, and what does he say? In you. So he says, it's a good thing that I'm leaving because this next one, this other counselor is coming to live in you. So it's no longer it's like us walking together. It's actually me inside of you, in in you, your personality, your creativity, your life circumstance. It's me living in you. And in, in John chapter 16, verse 7, it says, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then skip down to verse 13. It says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. This idea that you don't know everything yet. You haven't experienced everything yet. In fact... You couldn't handle it, but the Spirit's coming, and He's going to speak words from Me into your life, and in your life, and in your life, and your situation, and into your community. As time goes, as life comes at you, that God is going to f- fill and f- and fill you with more understanding about who He is, and says He will glorify Me because He it is He. Uh, It is from me. Sorry, I cannot read today. It's like the end of the school year and my brain's gone. Because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. It's this very Trinitarian thing in here. He's mentioned the Spirit. He's mentioned himself. He's mentioned the Father. He's mentioned how they are all working, interrelated with each other. And, and, and the, really, the understanding here is really we have got to get this nailed down. It's not about church attendance. It's not about showing up at religious functions. It's not about bumper stickers on your car. It's not about where you give money and how much. It's none of those things. We believe around here that following Jesus always leads to mission. Always. It doesn't lead to safety. It doesn't lead to convenience. It doesn't lead to comfort, unless you watch the late night shows. It doesn't lead to that stuff. It leads to mission. And the only way we, it can do that is if we surrender our will. And when we surrender our will, there's this exchange that happens that God actually walks into our lives that, that lives in us and through us. And there's some things that happen that we just can't explain. Remember, we asked that first week, what is happening in your life that you can't explain apart from God? And what is happening in this church, in this community that we cannot explain apart from God? And those are really powerful questions to answer, to ask, to reflect on. And so you and I, what Jesus says, are the continuation of it. Meaning Jesus says, I'm leaving, and now you're going to do what I do. Not I'm leaving so everything stops. He says, I'm leaving, and you're going to do now what I do, and I'm going to give you everything you need to do it. You're the hinge now. You're the part that gets played out. So, in a culture, if we go back to Corinthians, in a culture that would have worshipped the experience, okay, would have celebrated the experience, Paul is communicating how to live differently. That it's no longer about seeking out different experiences anymore. It's not about that. And all of this only makes sense under the lordship of Jesus. Otherwise, it just sounds crazy. So we go back to 1 Corinthians, it says this in verse 4, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Okay, this word gifts is the Greek word charis. And, and this word is an interesting word because it's, it's a gifts. Um, but they're also, it's, it's gifts given by grace. It's gifts given freely. It's gifts given with no, uh, no deserving quality by the receiver. There's, there's nothing that we get uh, to control with this. Uh, this is a gracious gift. And all we do is receive it. And all we do is use it. And we don't take credit for it. That's what this is. There's some quality about who you are as a a follower of Jesus that you don't take credit for it. You don't take credit for any of it. You just use it. And it turns out if you don't use it, you're actually robbing people. You're actually withholding something from them. And then it says in verse 7, Now to each uh, uh, each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This is this idea that it's not for you. It's not for me to put on a resume. It's not for, it's not for, it's not for you to enjoy all in the comfort of your own home and in your world and in your life. It's actually for the common good. So it's not about you, it's about us. It's not you, it's us. That's what this is all about. And so in a gathering, okay, in a gathering of people, whether it's you and a friend at a coffee shop or, or, or a larger gathering like this, this is what it's about. And it only makes sense with the lordship of Jesus. It's this idea we talked about last week, that this idea of being filled to the fullness, okay? That there's this ongoing activity in our lives, this ongoing receptivity for God to, to be bigger in our lives. And we had that analogy, that really bad one with the balloon last week and the air compressor and the that this it's not about topping God topping us off, topping up our cup, and then oh we, we cussed someone out on the on the road to drive to work, so I spilled a little bit of God and now I gotta I gotta add more no, it's not about that. It's this idea that God has created us as spiritual, that God has created us to, to breathe into us, and there's this idea that as we journey in our lives, that God is bigger and bigger and bigger, and involved in more and more and more of our lives. And there's this, this, this choice, this intentional choice to allow God in. There again, is the will, that pesky will of ours, right? that default mechanism in us that just says, uh. but I just want to go my way. I just want to do my thing. I just want to have it the way I want to have it. Second thing I say, I say is this, is when we gather, the spirit moves in each other, through each other. I cannot tell you how important this is to understand that you will not experience the fullness of God and his spirit when you separate yourself from people who do. You won't. There is a part of this where I love the fact that we are a smaller church because as I shared with you at the beginning, you cannot be really anonymous here for very long. And that's very difficult for people because Um, That's a a natural function of us as human beings. I mean, we want to be somewhat anonymous. We kind of want to stay on the fringes. I mean, if we get to know people too much, you know, people are weird, right? I mean, look around you, tell someone next to you, you're really weird, and and we are weird. We have a certain level of experiences and opinions and personality quirks and and ways we do things that we kind of don't agree with each other, and we just, uh, you know, kind of rub each other the wrong way at times, and that's just weird, awkward stuff. And uh, trust me, it's hard to be involved in community. It's hard to be uh, uh, digging yourself into your life, into other people's lives. It's difficult. Because they're going to let you down. Actually, you're going to let them down. In fact, sometimes we don't want to get involved with people because we're afraid we, we're not going to live up. That we're not going to keep our promises. That we're not going to be there for them. You know? And vice versa. So the difficult part is that part where you take that step. And it's amazing when you actually get involved in people's lives that the power of the Holy Spirit working through each other. Here, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like this idea of if pretend, and we almost did this, but we 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 have limited funds for like um, visual aids. I almost gave all of you a plant today. And it's this idea of is we all walk into something, and there's certain areas of our lives that are a little dry, right? I mean, if we're honest, there's places in our lives that are, dry, that are kind of dry. They're kind of water thirsty. And this idea is, is that each one of us comes with that. Each one of us shows up in our life like that. And there's the reality is that what Paul is saying is that the Spirit of God actually has this opportunity to move through you in a way that, that you could actually bring nourishment and water and, and, and something to somebody else in this room or in your life that is dry. That because you take that step in and vice versa. I mean, this has happened to me so much this last three weeks. That I've been on the receiving end of people's, uh, uh, really just the spirit moving through people in their life, in their words, in their care for me. And I cannot tell you how important that is to me. And and, and let me just add this. Uh, We have this couple groups of of guys that get together and they're called 10 man tables. And guys, we pretty much set this up to be as easy as possible, except for the fact that it starts at 6.30 in the morning, okay? It's a one hour time where guys come together, we read a piece of scripture, and, and everybody kind of writes a couple things down and we share it together. You don't have to. You, don't, you really don't have to. In fact, the first time you come, we just, we just tell you to be quiet and sit in the corner. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, at week after week and week after week. And it ends at 7.30 sharp and you can go and do your thing. And, um, but week after week after week. Somebody else will say something. Somebody else will have a take. Somebody else will have an experience or a story or, or a perspective that just, uh, it's what I needed to hear. In fact, I find myself writing little notes down of what other guys say um, that just means so much to me and have carried me through some of the really hard things in life. And that is the spirit kind of in and through each other. So each of us kind of brings dryness to it. Each of us has the ability to fill each other up. And I think a lot of people think that what my job is as the pastor here, as the one who teaches most of the time, is that I get up here, and I have another visual aid, but I I get up here and have like this fire hose of the Holy Spirit. I'm just like... to you guys. And you guys are like, Oh, thank you. We're so dry. And, and then I'm shooting you with all this stuff. And you're like, man, and you walk out at the end. And you're like, that was great. Thanks for doing that. You know? And then, right. And then three weeks, four weeks later, you come back and you're like, Oh, I'm so dry. And I'm like, Shh, I'm glad you're here. Everybody like, that's not how it goes. Okay? But now, after the last ten years, the the worship movement has gotten so big and the the biggest selling Christian albums are these worship albums, and I'm not trying to make fun of worship albums, I think they're great. But you know, and then now there's two fire hoses up here. There's me and Elliot, and we're like shh you're like, yeah. (laughs) That's not how it works. Thank goodness. If you are waiting for that, see, it's not about me, it's not about Elliot, it's not about how cool the videos are, none of those things. That's, not, that's, an, that's a religious experience, that's an experience, and we, we, don't, we don't shy away from saying that. We we're trying to create a way for, for you to come, okay, and maybe just kind of set a little bit of your world to, aside and allow God to speak, and that's okay. But we don't worship this that makes sense? We don't worship this. In fact, this is pretty flawed because I'm standing up here and you're listening to me and we, we're not even practicing this together. There's not even a way for us to really do that in, in an American consumer culture that, that allows for us to just practice what it means to experience each other's gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's what I would say, that's where the, the really, the, the meat hits the street, so to speak. That if in some way you're missing um, uh, people pouring into your life, and if you're missing the opportunity to pour into other people's lives, you are not experiencing uh, God like he says you should. You're not experiencing the full life that Jesus says, hey, this is life to the fullest. He didn't say this is going to be life and it's going to be great, it's going to be fulfilling, it's going to be carefree, it's going to be disease-free, it's going to be job-loss-free, it's going to be... No, he said, I want you to experience life to the fullest, and the only way you can do that is in community. The only way. The only way you can experience full life is that there's people pouring into you and you have the opportunity to pour into them. It's kind of like, um, instead of the fire hose analogy, you're one of those parks that they have the, the, the fountains shooting up randomly, you know, and like as a kid, as a kid, I mean, we didn't have those when I was kids. We just shot each other with the hose, like in the eye, you know, but they have these new like, oh, we love our kids fountains. And they shoot up randomly and the kids are like, oh, oh, and they're stepping on all of them. This is getting really acty up here. I apologize. But the point is, is that that's really what the community of God is. The best analogy I can think of when it comes to water is this idea is you don't know where it's coming next, but you can expect it. You can expect it in your life. And we talked about living with expectancy last week and living with expectancy and creating space in our lives that so we can actually believe the fact that God's promises are true. It's difficult it is to do in the face of whatever we're facing in our life, but something's coming out. Somebody's going to fill me. Someone's going someone's to help me. Someone's going to bring the Spirit to me. Because I'm expecting. Okay? And so this morning, I don't know where you're at on that. I know that in the last number of weeks, I've just dealt with, I, don't, I can't really put my finger on it, just a little bit of discouragement in my life, just a little bit of dryness, a little frustration. I, I was at a pastor's gathering, which is probably sometimes the worst place to be, but um, if you're feeling discouraged as a pastor and you go to a pastor's gathering, like, you're going to walk out discouraged, okay? So, so I, was at a, <laughs> I was at a pastor's gathering and um, they're all, you know, sharing, uh, everybody go around the room, say your name, where your church, and then what, what God's doing in your church, and everybody's just like, ah, we just built a building, and we have a water slide, and all this stuff, and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, okay, and they come to me, and I'm like, actually, I'm like really discouraged right now, and, um, but there's some really cool things happening, and I don't know why I'm discouraged, and then they're like, Okay, next. And so, so, literally, no, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. Like, I got walked out of that, and I'm like, no one talked to me. And I'm like, oh, stay away from the, the, the depressing guy. And so, I walk out of that, and I'm like, almost to my car, okay? And there's this guy who gets out of his car, and he goes, hey, thanks, thanks for saying that, because I kind of am too, you know? And I'm like, and we hugged, and no, I'm just kidding. We shot each other with water. No. Um. See what I'm saying, though? We need each other. In fact, the next chapter is that wedding chapter. He talks about the spiritual gifts here, but then he has this, the, the wedding verse chapter. You know what I'm talking about? Love is patient, love and kind. Everybody uses it for their wedding. It's so like, oh, it's so great. But that's because of what he just said here. He goes, it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter how great you are at communicating or or leading worship or serving or preaching. It doesn't matter. He goes, you don't love people. Who cares? It's just garbage. You just sound loud. You just make a show. I mean, you don't love people stand in the corner and the love we have for people doesn't come from us it's not like man I really need to start loving somebody it's this it's the spirit doing things in us it's growing us it's giving us a a heart for people that we never had or could ever manufacture no matter what you believe you can't manufacture love for people not the kind of love that would pay an ultimate price That's the kind of, then Jesus says, I'm going to live in you, it's that same Jesus that said, I will die for you. And if that same Jesus says, I will die for you, wants to live in you, that's going to change the way you love people. So, sounds like a good spot to end.